Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to recommend a podcast that I think you might find interesting. It's called The History of Vikings, and it's hosted by Noah Tetzner. The History of Vikings seeks to go beyond the pop culture image of this ancient people. Featuring conversations with leading historians, the show delves into the history of the Vikings as a society and a people. It explores Norse mythology and the general history of medieval Scandinavia. Recent episodes include the stories of King Harald Bluetooth, Viking-era stories about ghosts and zombies, the weapons and battle tactics of Viking warriors, the explorations, travels, and trade of Vikings in Russia, and most recently, an interview about the Viking celebration Yule. If you have ever had even a passing interest in Viking culture and the stories of these fascinating peoples, subscribe to the History of Vikings wherever you get your podcasts. Hello folks, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast. This is News from the Field, Egyptology in 2023. This is a series that I used to do back in the day, as a sort of semi-regular update of discoveries and important announcements within Egypt, Egyptian archaeology, and Egyptology generally. The series kind of took a hold with the global pandemic, but the past 12 to 18 months have seen archaeology and Egyptology return to their pre-pandemic activity. The past year has been especially active in terms of important discoveries and developments, and I thought I'd do a summary of these to wrap the year up. So, without further ado, let's begin. News from the field, Egyptology in 2023. Our first big discovery comes from Luxor. On the west bank of the Nile, in a series of cliffs and valleys west of the Valley of the Queens, an archaeological expedition thinks it may have found a new royal tomb. The initial discovery took place on October 31st, 2022, and was announced to the public in January of 2023. Subsequently, we have our first publication, in the pages of Egyptian Archaeology magazine, volume 63. In this article, the head of the project, Dr. Piers Litherland, lays out the basic description of the monument and some of the tentative conclusions about its owner. The new tomb is in an area called the Western Wadis, and architecturally it dates to the 18th dynasty, around 1500 BCE, approximately. At that time, this area, the Western Wadis, was a popular burial site for royal women. Within this vicinity, archaeologists have previously discovered the tombs of Princess Neferura, the daughter of Hatshepsut. They have also found a tomb belonging to Hatshepsut herself, back when she was a princess or queen, and before she became a pharaoh. They have found the tombs of Merit-Ra, the wife of Tutmose III, and a tomb belonging to three foreign wives of that king. So this area is a popular burial site for royal women, especially princesses and queens. But the archaeological team thinks this one might be something different. Architecturally, the new tomb is 18th dynasty. It has the classic features of that period. A staircase leads to an entrance corridor with an antechamber and then a series of chambers behind it. The tomb itself is in terrible condition. Over the centuries, it has been flooded repeatedly, and the mix of water, dust, debris, and mud has solidified into a mass kind of like concrete. This frequently happens in the tombs west of Thebes. If they are left open for too long, the mass of debris can really fill up the space. As a result, the excavators have to move slowly, carefully chipping away at the blockage and making sure not to damage the tomb itself. This is one reason why the discovery took so long to announce, and why the publication is going to take a long time. But we do have some preliminary observations. Although the tomb chambers are badly damaged and partially collapsed, there are surviving traces of the decoration. In one chamber, chamber A, there are traces of a kecher frieze. The kecher is a kind of decorative border that goes along the top of certain chambers. There are also traces of amduat scenes, 
Scenes of the Underworld, which were becoming popular in the 18th dynasty. Notably, both of these elements, the Kecher frieze and the Amduat, are not usually found in the tombs of royal women. At the time that this monument was constructed, the Kecher frieze and Amduat scenes were almost exclusively a king's decoration. That's an interesting discovery, and it raises certain questions. Beyond the decorative elements, the archaeological team also found objects. These were badly damaged, owing to the repeated flooding and filling of the tomb, but they had recovered enough fragments to identify some of the tomb goods. There were fragments of vessels, made of stone and also pottery, and some of these vessels had texts. Surviving traces reference a series of kings, including the ruler Hatshepsut, her stepson-slash-nephew, Tutmos III, and another king, whose royal name begins with the phrase Ak-Keper. This could be the king Tutmos I, Ak-Keper-Kara, or Tutmos II, Ak-Keper-Enra. Unfortunately, the vessels are broken and damaged, and it's not currently possible to confirm which name it is. But the archaeologists do have a suspicion. The excavation team has a tentative scenario for what this monument might be. They suggest the tomb may be the original burial site for King Tutmos II. Tutmos II was the king who married Hatshepsut back when she was a princess slash queen. Unfortunately, Tutmos II did not rule for very long, and he died between the ages of 25 to 30. That unexpected death may have caused a problem. The king's actual tomb would not have been ready, and it's possible the royal architects decided to prepare or convert this tomb for his use. This scenario probably happened during the early years of Hatshepsut's regency, or maybe the time when she had become pharaoh in her own right. Subsequently, the body of Tutmos II would have been removed from this tomb and taken to another burial site. Later, it wound up in one of the royal caches, the Deir al-Bahari cache, which was discovered in 1881. So we have the mummified body of King Tutmos II, but his actual tomb has never been identified. This discovery, while preliminary, might be the answer to that conundrum. Excavations are ongoing, and these conclusions are preliminary. If you would like to learn more about them and see the photographs that they have published, you can find the discussion by Piers Litholand in the latest issue of Egyptian Archaeology magazine, issue number 63. There is also a press release with photographs from the Ministry of Antiquities and Tourism, which I will link in the episode description. Whether this is the tomb of Tutmos II or not is still unclear. There's a decent possibility based on the evidence provided by the team, but these results and hypotheses could easily change as the excavation continues. For now, it's a fascinating possibility, and we look forward to more information. From a possible royal tomb to a series of smaller, non-royal ones, we move slightly east of that western wadi to a much more famous site. On the west bank of Luxor, the area called Deir el-Bahri is famous for the monumental temples of King Hatshepsut, her successor Tutmos III, and their distant ancestor, King Montuhotep II. Deir el-Bahri is a justly famous site. Today, the temple of Hatshepsut is the big tourist draw, the one that gets the most attention from the general public. Fair enough. But the hills and cliffs surrounding that temple are full of additional monuments, especially tombs, which have their own rich stories to tell. Now, the opportunities to visit those tombs have increased significantly. In February 2023, the Egyptian Ministry of Antiquities and Tourism, in conjunction with Spanish and Polish archaeological missions, announced the conservation and reopening of three important tombs. These tombs belong to non-royal individuals, members of the Egyptian court and the government, who served at three distinct phases of Egyptian history. The first and oldest tomb belongs to a man named Meru. Meru lived around 1950 BCE. He served the court of King Montuhotep II. 
Montuhotep is most noteworthy as the man who reunified Egypt following a government collapse in the first intermediate period. Montuhotep also commissioned the magnificent temple which is in Deir el-Bahari, just next to that of Hatshepsut. Meru seems to have been a prominent servant and follower of Montuhotep, and he constructed his tomb in the hills overlooking the royal temple. Meru's tomb is beautifully decorated, with painted frescoes on the walls that present offerings to the deceased and help guarantee his entry into the next world. It also has an interesting feature, a sarcophagus pit. This is a rectangular opening cut into the floor of the tomb, which was brightly decorated, and would be used to hold the casket or burial container of the deceased himself. The tomb of Meru also has writings from the religious literature. These include the pyramid texts, which first appear in the Old Kingdom, and the coffin texts, which first appear in the early Middle Kingdom. So his tomb is an interesting example of developing ideas and beliefs around the Egyptian afterlife. If you are interested in religion and the history of beliefs, a visit to the tomb of Meru is an essential destination within Western Thebes. The conservation, restoration and opening of this tomb was conducted by the Polish Centre of Mediterranean Archaeology, and thanks to their careful work, you can now visit the tomb in comfort and see the brightly lit illustrations that adorn its walls and sarcophagus pit. The tomb of Meru may seem like an out-of-the-way destination compared to the temple of Hatshepsut and the hordes that flock to it, but for those in the know, it will certainly be worth your time. And this is an exciting development in the history, conservation, and future of Deir al-Bahari. The second tomb opening belongs to a man named Huri. Huri worked in the Egyptian government at a much later period than Meru. He served at the end of the 17th dynasty and the very start of the 18th. In other words, Huri was part of the Egyptian government at the transitional phase from the second intermediate period to the early New Kingdom. Huri was a prominent civil official under the kings Amosa I and possibly Amunhotep I. His highest title was Overseer of the Double Granary of the King's Mother and King's Wife, Ea-Hotep. In other words, Huri was the personal secretary and overseer for the wealth and estate of Queen Ahotep. That places Huri at the very centre of the royal social and economic network during this important phase. As a new royal family consolidated its power and the security of the country following the second intermediate period, a man like Huri would have been in the thick of it. The reopening of Huri's tomb was accomplished by the Spanish archaeological mission called Proyecto Jehuti, and this reopening is an exciting opportunity to visit a tomb built at the very start of the New Kingdom. Usually, most tourists get to visit the monuments of later periods, the Middle and Late 18th Dynasties, or the 19th and Ramesid eras. The opening of Huri's tomb provides an opportunity to go further back in time and see an earlier development. The third reopening was also conducted by the Spanish Proyecto Jehuti. This tomb is the project's namesake, for it belongs to a royal official named Jehuti. Jehuti, or Thoth, lived about 50 years after Huri. By this point, the 18th dynasty royal house had developed into a powerful imperial organization. Huri served in that system, most notably as an official for King Hatshepsut. Jehuti held a prominent position in Hatshepsut's government. His titles include Overseer of the Treasury, Overseer of Royal Works, and Overseer of the Cattle of the God Amun. In other words, Jehuti was at the very centre of the economic apparatus of Egypt's government. And based on the publications by the Spanish Proyecto Jehuti, it is possible that Jehuti was directly involved in some of Hatshepsut's more famous projects. As an overseer of the treasury and royal works, Jehuti might have helped organise the great expedition to Punt, and he may have facilitated the quarrying and construction of Hatshepsut's enormous obelisks that still adorn the great temple of Karnak. Then, as the overseer of the treasury, Jehuti may have been responsible for the decoration of those obelisks, 
providing the gold, silver, or electrum that supposedly adorned their caps. This interpretation comes directly from the expedition. That is a tentative scenario, but it is based on the titles of this man and what we know about those officials during the New Kingdom. Chahuti's tomb is an impressive piece of architectural and decorative work. It has its own hall of columns carved from the bedrock. And on the walls, you can find 43 chapters or scenes from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. This is one of the earliest known examples of the Book of the Dead from a non-royal tomb. Broadly speaking, religious literature like the Book of the Dead tends to appear in royal monuments first, before later disseminating out into the wider society. In the following centuries, the Book of the Dead would become incredibly popular for Egyptians from all walks of life. But at the time he was living, Chahuti's monument is a rare example of the text. Again, if you are interested in the religious history of Egypt and the development of its ideas around the afterlife, the tomb of Jehuti will be an essential destination. Jehuti's tomb was conserved and reopened by the Spanish Proyecto Jehuti. It is located in the hills just above the great temple of Hatshepsut. If you are visiting that temple, it should be well worth your time to go up to Jehuti's tomb. If nothing else, it is an opportunity to see the burial hall of a man who was probably closely involved in the construction of that temple. As the overseer of royal works and the treasury, Chihuti would have made many decisions related to the construction project and the furnishings of the monument. So, if the temple of Hatshepsut has a special place in your heart, do take some time to visit Chihuti's grave. Tomb reopenings do not garner the same headlines or excitement as a brand new discovery, but for those interested in Egypt and those planning to visit the country, they are equally important. After all, a brand new discovery might be exciting at the time, but you will not be able to visit it for many years until archaeologists complete the work. Tomb reopenings allow you to see the results of that hard work, the product of many hours of conservation and careful preparation of these sacred spaces. So if you are planning a visit now or in the future, do keep an eye on these locations. Once again, I will put links in the episode description for each of these tombs and the relative press releases. They are definitely worth our time. The three tombs at Deir el-Bahri and the new royal tomb in the Western Wadis are the headline developments in the Theban necropolis for 2023. After the break, we will leave the city of Luxor and begin moving north. Other sites within Egypt have had a bumper year for major discoveries and announcements, from Abydos to Saqqara and beyond, and across all eras of Egyptian history, there have been some magnificent finds in 2023. We'll explore those after the break. See you in a moment. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Moving north, there have been exciting developments at Abydos. Abydos is one of the oldest cemeteries in Egypt, and it has been a sacred site for more than 5,000 years. Among the many claims of fame that this site holds, it is noteworthy as the burial place for some of Egypt's earliest kings. In western Abydos, the cemetery called Umm el Kab is the home to a suite of burials from the First Dynasty, around 3000 BCE. One of the more noteworthy tombs is that belonging to a lady named Meret Neith. Meret Neith, or Merneith, might be one of the earliest examples for a queen regent or female king in Egyptian history. The life and monuments of this lady are shadowy at best, but her tomb at Abydos is one of the more impressive in the necropolis. 
It was in this tomb, in October 2023, that archaeologists made a fascinating discovery. An excavation team from the University of Vienna announced the uncovery of a huge assortment of grave goods. These belonged to the burial items of Meret Neef, and they included a huge suite of wine jars. These wine jars would be almost 5,000 years old, making them some of the oldest ever discovered in Egypt. Surprisingly, the wine jars were not entirely smashed, as you might expect after such a long time. Some of them were very well preserved, and even sealed with their original stoppers and markings. The wine itself has long evaporated, so unfortunately we can't drink it, but the discovery remains significant. For one thing, it helps to flesh out our understanding of the economy and wealth of Egypt's kingdom at such an early date. Additionally, some of the texts that were written on these labels give us greater information about Meret Neith herself and the administration she oversaw. On the information currently available, these titles and the economic details are still a bit vague, but presumably they will be fleshed out in the scientific publication, and when they do, I will update the appropriate episodes accordingly. Along with the wine jars, which are a fascinating trace of ancient funerary culture, the team also announced some larger historical observations. Most notably, the archaeologists seem to have uncovered evidence that helps clarify the picture of subsidiary burials. Many of the royal tombs at Abydos include a suite of smaller graves surrounding their perimeters. These smaller tombs appear to belong to courtiers or high-ranking servants of the particular rulers. They've been known since the 1800s, but their significance and origin has always been a little bit uncertain. One of the big questions has been, were these subsidiary burials the result of human sacrifice? Early archaeologists like Flinders Petrie thought so, but now the archaeologists from Vienna may have provided some clarification to that question. In the press release, the excavation leader, Professor Christiana Köhler, writes the following, quote, Meret Neith's monumental tomb complex includes the tombs of 41 courtiers and servants, in addition to her own burial chamber. Thanks to careful excavation methods and new archaeological technologies, the team was able to show that the tombs were built in several construction phases, and over a relatively long period of time. This observation, together with other evidence, radically challenges the idea of ritual human sacrifice, as part of the royal burial in the first dynasty. This was often assumed in early research, but never really proven. End quote. Again, the details in the press release are relatively light, and full discussion will need to await the proper scientific reports and publications. But if the team is correct in their hypothesis, we may finally have an answer to those subsidiary burials. Were they human sacrifices associated with the death of the ruler? Or were they more nuanced? It is possible that Professor Kohler and her team have solved this question. Obviously, this is a very exciting development in the archaeology of the early dynastic period. Once the team has completed their work and prepared full publications, I will update the appropriate episodes. Incidentally, if you are interested in the tomb of Mernith and her time, I have covered it previously, all the way back in episode 2. I'll put a link in the episode description, along with the relevant material for this discovery. Suffice to say, it's a fascinating development, and I look forward to hearing more. Beyond the early dynastic material discovered at the Umm el Kab, another excavation at Abydos uncovered fascinating material from a much later period. This discovery took place in the Temple of Ramesses II, whose reign began around 1290 BCE, almost 1700 years after Meret Neith. Ramesses II commissioned an impressive temple at Abydos, just north of the famous temple built by his father, Seti I. Here, an archaeological project led by Professor Samer Iskander has made an interesting find. In a report published in the pages of Egyptian Archaeology, Volume 63, Professor Iskander announced the discovery of animal burials. A huge assortment of skeletons from various species were discovered within the Ramesses temple. 
From the bones, specialists identified several types, including cattle, dogs, donkeys, and crocodiles. There was also a huge deposit of ram's skulls. More than 2,000 of these were discovered within the temple precinct, suggesting, perhaps, that the ram was particularly important within the local economy or the religious activities taking place here. Another noteworthy find was the burial of a cow. She was lying on her left side and had been carefully buried beneath the temple floor. According to Professor Salima Ikram, who specialises in animal burials, the skeleton shows no signs of slaughter or butchery, and given its careful burial beneath the temple floor, it is possible that this cow or animal was significant in some way to the local community or religious organisation. Professor Ikram suggests, tentatively, there might have been an animal cult centred on this bovine. If so, that would add an intriguing chapter to the afterlife of Ramesses' temple. Beyond the scope of the discovery, the huge number of animals, the find is also significant for its date. The temple and religious organisation of Ramesses II began life around 1290 BCE, give or take. But these animal burials seem to come from a much later era. Based on associated finds and the context of the animal skeletons, the archaeological team have concluded they most likely come from the Ptolemaic era, that is the Greek-dominated period, from approximately 305 to 30 BCE. In other words, there seems to have been important activity within the Temple of Ramesses nearly a thousand years after his death. The exact nature and significance of these burials and the religious activity happening here is still a matter of speculation, and the team's observations are preliminary. But it is possible that the Temple of Ramesses II, and perhaps the memory of this king, continued to play an important part in the community of Abydos over ten centuries following his death. Again, the excavation is ongoing, and results may change with the final publications and reports. For now, the discovery of these animals highlights the importance of the Temple of Ramesses II at Abydos, and possibly the long-lasting fame of this particular ruler. From Abydos, we continue travelling north, and we come to the cemeteries of Saqqara. The Saqqara necropolis is a vast area covering many square kilometres. At any one time, there are archaeological teams from several different countries and missions working side by side on different areas and monuments. Naturally, this leads to a wealth of discoveries every single year. And 2023 was no different. In late May of 2023, the Ministry of Antiquities and Tourism announced a string of new discoveries. The big find was a pair of embalming workshops. These were mud-brick structures that were devoted to the preparation of embalmed bodies. They both dated to the later centuries of the Pharaonic period. The first seems to be a building of the 30th dynasty, around 350 BCE, approximately. The second dates from the Ptolemaic era, the period between 305 and 30 BCE. The published information does not provide any great detail on the dates, but hopefully the scientific reports will include a wealth of detail that will enable us to pinpoint their time of operation with a bit more precision. One of the workshops, again it's not clear which, seems to have been dedicated to human mummification. This makes sense, Saqqara was a vast necropolis across all periods of Egyptian history, and there are countless graves and monuments for burial of the deceased. The second workshop seems to have been devoted to animal mummification. This one may sound surprising, but it actually fits within the context. During later periods, around 1500 BCE and later, the necropolis at Saqqara started to really develop as a place for animal burials. The most famous example is the Serapeum, where the great Apis bulls were laid to rest. But there are more. In fact, there are two significant sanctuaries within this region that were especially prominent for animal deities. One of them was devoted to canines, and we usually refer to it as the Anubion, after Anubis. The other was devoted to felines, and we often refer to it as the Bubasteon, 
after Bubastis or Bastet. The animal workshop that was discovered in 2023 seems to be associated with the Bastet sanctuary, so that's an exciting find. Hopefully it will provide a wealth of information about the cult of this goddess at the Saqqara necropolis. On the podcast narrative, we are entering the period where the Anubion and Bubastion really begin to take off as animal sanctuaries, and I look forward to discussing them in greater detail in the future. For now, this is an exciting find, and hopefully the full scientific publication will provide a huge amount of detail about the religious practices of this site. Along with the embalming workshops, the ministry also announced the discovery of tombs. Two monuments came to light during this excavation. The first belonged to the Old Kingdom, specifically the 5th dynasty, around 2400 BCE. This tomb belonged to a priest named Ni Chesutba. Ni Chesutba might translate as of praiseworthy soul, and the man himself seems to have been a mid to high ranking priest in the religious hierarchy. His tomb is richly decorated, with scenes of the deceased receiving offerings, and large workforces preparing animals and gathering items for his funeral. There are also scenes of daily life including the farming process. Further details will need to await the full publication, but for now this is an exciting discovery that will help expand our understanding of 5th dynasty society and the people within it. The second tomb belonged to the New Kingdom, specifically the late 18th dynasty, around 1300 BCE, approximately. Again, the tomb belonged to a priest. This time, he was named Menheber. Again, the hieroglyphs for this name were not available in the press releases, but Menheber might translate as something like enduring of appearances, or even the god Min is appearing. Like the other tomb owner announced in this discovery, Menheper was a priest. He served in the cult of an interesting deity. Menheper was the priest for a goddess whose name was Kadesh. Kadesh is not an Egyptian deity. In fact, she seems to originate in Syria. Kadesh, not to be confused with the city or the battle, was apparently a deity of sexuality, and within Egypt, the goddess was closely associated with the Egyptian Hathor, who held a similar role. She was also connected with the male deities Min and Reshep. The worship of Kadesh seems to appear in Egypt during the early 18th dynasty, around 1500 BCE. She might have come in earlier, perhaps the Second Intermediate Period or Late Middle Kingdom but that is tentative. Archaeologically, she seems to have become quite popular, and scholars have found traces of this deity at sites like Deir el-Medina, where the tomb builders lived, and also in the temples of Memphis, much closer to Saqqara itself. The discovery of a priest who served Kadesh is an interesting addition to the social and religious story of the New Kingdom. Hopefully, full publication of the tomb will teach us a lot more about this man, and possibly the goddess he served. It's definitely an exciting discovery. This find, the embalming workshops, the tomb of Ni Chesutba, and the tomb of Menheber, were announced by Dr. Mustafa Waziri, and the press conference included a huge assortment of items recovered from these monuments. If you're interested to see these photos, I will put a link in the episode description. The discovery of the embalming workshops and Old Kingdom tombs was not the only activity in central Saqqara during 2023. Later in the year, the streaming service Netflix published a documentary titled Unknown, The Lost Pyramid. Part of this documentary chronicled the work I have just described that resulted in the discovery of significant tombs. The other part followed a scholar you may have heard of. In the second part of this documentary, Dr. Zahi Hawass organized a new excavation in western Saqqara. Here, just past the Step Pyramid and the Pyramid of Unas, there is a large area that is called the Giser el-Mudir. The Giser el-Mudir seems to be an Old Kingdom monument, possibly an enclosure like the ones we find at Abydos or around the Step Pyramid itself but this monument has only ever been partially excavated. It is surprisingly large, but clearly unfinished in terms of its architecture, 
So scholars have wanted to explore here for a long time. Now, Dr. Zahi Hawass has organized a new dig. The documentary showed the beginnings of this work, as the team started their clearance within Gisel Modia and made small finds and began to map the site. Subsequently, more information has come to light about what possibly might lie within this area. In January of 2023, Dr. Hawass announced some of the preliminary results. These included the discovery of several tombs dating to the Old Kingdom, and a huge assortment of funerary goods associated with those tombs and scattered around the area. One tomb, in particular, belonged to a priest who served in the Pyramid of Unas, just to the east of the area. Another tomb owner served the King Pepi I, who built his pyramid in South Saqqara, not too far from the Giza el Mudia. There was also a huge assortment of statues and various funerary goods, the sort you might expect from a significant burial site. All of these finds were preliminary, and they are awaiting publication, but the discoveries are interesting, suggesting that just west of the Steppe Pyramid, there was an active burial site during the 5th and 6th dynasties. This will help to flesh out our understanding of society and the royal court during an important phase of the Old Kingdom. For now, the published results are preliminary at best, but we await further study and publication, and when that is available, I will report it to you. If you would like to learn more about this discovery, including photos of the monuments and the items discovered, I will include links in the episode description. The discoveries at the Giza el Mudir and the Animal Necropolis are located within central Saqqara, near the major monuments like the Steppe Pyramid. For this next find, we move a few kilometers south to the area called South Saqqara. Here, later in 2023, an excavation team announced the discovery of a new temple. Archaeologists and scientists from Maser University for Science and Technology have been working in this area since 2020. In the course of their excavations, they uncovered a large cemetery, which included almost 50 burial shafts, some of them dating to the New Kingdom. In 2023, though, they published the discovery of a temple. In an article written for the Egyptian Archaeology magazine, Dr. Ahmed Osman, professor of Egyptian Archaeology and Civilization at Maser University, reported on the discovery of a mud-brick structure. It is roughly square, with an entrance on its eastern side, and it used to have a stone outer face with decorations. Many of the stone blocks were removed by later generations, but enough survived that archaeologists could identify the date of the monument, and the deity to whom it was dedicated. Stone blocks with carvings and decoration reference a variety of kings. These include the 18th dynasty rulers Tutmose I, Tutmose IV, and Horemheb. They also reference the queens Tia and Nefertari. That is Nefertari, the wife of Tutmose IV, not the more famous Nefertari who married Ramesses II. So based on the decorative elements, the temple seems to date at least to the 18th dynasty, and that might replace an earlier monument that was in the same vicinity. So that is the temple's date, but who was its patron? The temple seems to be dedicated to Hathor. Pieces of decoration show elements that are associated with the goddess Hathor. These include columns, with the distinctive Hathor head as their capitals. There are also references to Hathor in the nearby cemetery, that seems to include the burials of priests, male and female, who served the goddess Hathor. So archaeologists seem to have identified a new temple for this goddess within the South Saqqara region, dating at least to the 18th dynasty. This find is more significant than it may sound. Historically, there hasn't been much evidence for Hathor in this particular region, and the discovery of a whole new temple suggests that there was a lot more happening here than we might previously have imagined. South Saqqara is most commonly associated with the late Old Kingdom, especially the 6th dynasty, whose kings built a number of pyramids within this region. But beyond that period of intense activity, South Saqqara is often overlooked in the later eras. The discovery of this monument, and the evidence for royal activity during the 18th dynasty, 
suggests that maybe there is a lot more to find. So this is an exciting discovery that hopefully will continue to grow and develop over the coming years. If it does, I will report on it. If you would like to learn more about this discovery, you can find the report in the newest edition of Egyptian Archaeology from autumn of 2023. I will include a link in the episode description should you wish to find it. Now we move north once again, although only slightly. Archaeologists working at Abu Sia, just north of Saqqara, have made an interesting discovery. The Czech excavation team from the Charles University in Prague have spent many years excavating this site, including its pyramids, the temple complexes associated with them, and the many, many tombs of high-ranking dignitaries, courtiers, and ordinary folks who used Abu Sia as a cemetery. In November 2023, the Czech team announced the discovery of a tomb belonging to a royal scribe, whose name was Jehuti M. Hat. Jehuti M. Hat, or the god Thoth is foremost, lived during a period that we call the 27th dynasty. This is approximately 500 BCE, when Egypt was under the rule of Persian emperors and governors. The tomb of Jehuti Emhat is a shaft with a burial chamber at the bottom, and this burial chamber was richly decorated with hieroglyph texts and painted images of the underworld. There was also a beautiful stone sarcophagus, adorned with the names of the deceased and prayers for his well-being in the afterlife. Unfortunately, there were no burial goods. The tomb seems to have been plundered long ago. But the skeleton of Jehuti Emhat seems to have survived, and based on osteological studies, the team estimates that he died at approximately 25 years old. So he was a young man, and yet he seems to have had significant wealth and influence, enough to fund a relatively lavish burial. Whether he came from wealth or had risen high in the local or Persian administration is not clear on the current information, but it's an interesting discovery from a fascinating period of Egyptian history that deserves greater attention. It will be many years before I reach the 27th dynasty in my history, but hopefully by the time I do reach it, the full publication of this tomb will be available, and perhaps many others like it. The Czech excavations at Abu Sia have been incredibly productive. In just the past few years, they have discovered numerous important tombs dating to all periods of Egyptian history. At some point we'll have to do an overview, perhaps with a scholar from the Czech Institute. For now, this is yet another feather in the cap of this fabulous cemetery and a long-running excavation. To close out this discussion of last year's discoveries, we do have an interesting one out of the Egyptian Museum in Cairo. In January of 2023, and published in the scientific journal Frontiers in Medicine, a group of Egyptian scientists have analysed a mummy from the late Ptolemaic era. The mummy was discovered at Edfu, the city and temple sacred to the god Horus, and it dates from the period roughly 305 to 30 BCE. The mummy has been kept in the Egyptian museum in Cairo. It has never been unwrapped or properly studied. Now, a scientific team has conducted a full CT scan, with some interesting results. The mummy turned out to be a boy, aged approximately 14 to 15 when he died. He was about 1.3 meters tall, at least in his current condition, and based on the CT scans, he seems to have had an oval face, a small nose, a narrow chin, and his eyes left partially open. His teeth were in good condition, with no evidence for losses, abscesses, or disease. His cause of death was unknown, but he was mummified in a traditional style, with an incision on his lower left abdomen that was covered with linen. His body had been emptied of major organs, and then packed with resin and textile bundles. Most notably, the body was adorned with 49 sacred amulets. These were mostly made of gold, and they included shapes such as scarabs, jed pillars, wajet eyes, or the eye of Horus feather plumes, and the tiet knot, sacred to Isis. There were also amulets made from quartz or faience, clay and stone, including cylinders, triangles, serpent heads, and even a model placenta. 
All of these amulets were scanned with the CT technology, and then the scientists did something interesting. They took the results of the CT scans for the amulets, and used them to produce 3D printed models of each of the items. Doing this, the scholars could create replicas based on the mummy itself, without unwrapping or damaging the prepared body. These amulets will be on display to the public, along with the mummy itself, in a new museum environment. This study resonates with me personally. My nephew is reaching the approximate age of this mummified individual, so there's an odd poignancy to the study of this deceased person. But more importantly, the use of 3D printing technology to replicate the amulets is an important step in the museum display of ancient bodies. Obviously, we don't want people manhandling ancient artifacts or the deceased themselves, but many people do find a greater connection with objects that they are able to touch and physically feel. The use of 3D printing to create replicas of amulets or artifacts generally could be an important step forward in making greater connections between our current world and the people of the past. The 3D printings of the amulets will be used in a new museum display focused around this body. Hopefully, those who come to see it will be able to connect in a more tactile sense with the items they are viewing. This study was published by Dr. Saha Salim and her team, and can be read in open access in the journal Frontiers in Medicine. Again, I'll include a link in the episode description. From Luxor to Abydos, Saqqara to Abu Sir, and the Egyptian Museum in Cairo, these have been some of the major discoveries that happened within Egypt during 2023. Unfortunately, I can't cover everything, at least not in one episode. But now that archaeology is returning to its pre-pandemic level of activity, the announcement of major discoveries, new restoration and conservation projects, or simply new studies on old material, will likely pick up its pace once again. Moving forward, I'm going to try and do news from the field at least once every year, but perhaps there will be opportunities for more regular updates as events allow. So, this has been News from the Field 2023 edition. Before I go, I would like to take a moment and acknowledge those who make these discoveries possible. Egyptology is the outcome of countless helping hands, and every discovery, restoration, conservation, or simple publication requires the dedication, hard work, and enthusiasm of many, many people. Far from a niche academic pursuit conducted in wood-panelled offices, the work is more a matter of elbow grease, aching knees, tired backs, endless sweat, and constant annoying flies. Every person, young, old, employed, or volunteer, deserves our notice and appreciation. So please, join with me and take a moment to offer praise for the excavators. May their work continue to flourish, may their funding be infinite, and may the coming year be as happy and productive as the last. This brings us to the end of today's chapter. If you would like to follow up on any of the discoveries mentioned in this episode, you will find links in the episode description. Additionally, if you'd like to start following Egyptology more directly, I will provide some links to websites and mailing lists that are excellent for staying up to date on major developments. If you have a piece of news that you would like to share, maybe one that hasn't been made available to the public, you can always reach me at egyptpodcast at gmail.com. And more generally, if you would like to discuss Egyptology, discoveries, and the podcast, you could always join our Discord server. The Discord has been running for about a year now, and I keep meaning to advertise it on the podcast, but I also keep forgetting. Anyway, if you're interested to join the Discord and chat about ancient Egypt with like-minded individuals, you can find a link in the episode description. Anyway, that's all from me. Thank you for listening. And thank you for your patience with the recent break in the main narrative. A couple of people have asked when I'm planning to return to the reign of Seti I and the 19th dynasty, and I'm pleased to confirm that that will be next. Starting from the next episode, we will continue with the tale of Seti, Prince Ramesses, and the events of that time. Again, thank you for your patience with the recent break. 
I had to get some Old Kingdom material out of my system, and I also had to cover a few other topics that were interesting at the time. As a history podcaster who also happens to have a diagnosis of ADHD, sometimes following the straight continual path is just a little dull, and I need to stretch my wings in other directions, momentarily. I hope the interruption has not been too disruptive, and I know that some of you are hanging on with every fibre for the next narrative chapter. But fear not, gentle listener, help is on the way, and we are now ready to resume the tale of the 19th dynasty. The History of Egypt podcast is supported primarily by you, the listeners. I would especially like to thank my subscribers on Patreon, and in particular, the priests. These top-tier backers maintain the worship of great gods, and it is thanks to them that temples endure for centuries after the deaths of their builders. My thanks to Linda, Terry, TJ, Yola, Mykost, Andy and Chelsea, Evan, Kyla, Nedin, Ashley, and Veronica. I would also like to thank Ellen, Andrea, Kevin, Jason, Kendra, John, and Stephen, who have been members of the priesthood in the past, around the time that some of these discoveries were made. Folks, thank you most kindly for your support. May the great gods bless you, and may you enjoy millennia of recognition. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. What did it take to survive an ancient siege? Why was the cult of Dionysus behind so many slave revolts in ancient Rome? What's the tragic history and mythology behind Japan's most haunted ancient forest? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. Join us to explore ancient history and mythology from a fun, sometimes tipsy perspective. Find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts.